0: Run silent, run deep. It's silent service on Amigos, episode 336. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about silent service. Aaron, Ooh. have you ever been known as silent but deadly?
1: No. I've never been known as silent about anything I've ever done. I'm more of the loud, boisterous jerk type. You know, the the jerks in the old uh, animal house. Like a Belushi type. That's what I am. What about Has you? Has
0: anybody ever called upon you to be the muscle in a gang?
1: I've never really been in a gang. But, well, I don't know. Does the band count as a gang? They would sort bring of. me into kill suckers in football occasionally. That was that was pretty much the extent of my musclery. Although
0: but I, mean, I can like, take
1: care of business. Don't think about it. I, have no, you I ever can. been...
0: Have you ever been up to no good with a group of guys, and they look at you and they say, "If anything goes south, we'll leave it to you."
1: No, no, I don't, because I, I don't do no good. I'm all good, you know that. Mm-hmm. What about you? Have you been this? You, have you been the uh, tough guy, the muscle for anybody? I can't imagine you being in a gang. What kind of gang would that be?
0: You know, it's funny. Whenever I don't wear my glasses, people think I look like a stone cold killer.
1: <laughs> Take them off. Let's see. Okay. No. No, no, I don't see it. You got a baby <laughs> face. Mm. And I mean like a, a one-year-old baby. You know, you got to cut that look. like. F- you know, there's f- only been
0: one time in my life that I've been referred to as, as one of the bad boys.
1: Yeah, I got to hear this. Um,
0: And this was in my ninth grade English class. And I was in a class with full of of no good Nicks, okay? Yeah. And the teacher was complaining about our class to another class. And she was like, yeah, you know, all the guys that are in there, blah, you know, Nick Harold, Joe Street, John Schaller. As soon as she said my name, the entire class erupted in laughter because I was not known as a, one of the bad boys. So.
1: Well, I mean, it's not. Uh, listen, I, you know, as you know, I do work in the field of corrections. The field, uh, field of dreams, they call it. Oh, It's not the field of dreams. Unless you're dreaming about <laughs> being in prison, then you'd love it. <laughs> But there's a lot of bad boys in there, Boat. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, uh, having seen them, that it's not necessarily the best way to go. Sometimes yeah. being the, uh, the, the choir boy keeps you out of, the, out of stir, if you know what I mean.
0: Would you say your job has scared you straight?
1: No. I w- No, I, I, not really. I do. I will say the job has given me more respect for the police than I had, mm-hmm. uh, which was not, uh, not a ton at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I will say that. But and certainly for prison guards, those guys are getting hosed. That's a yeah. tough job.
0: It's a it's a tough job and they don't get paid a whole lot.
1: So. Yeah, you got that right.
0: Listen, when you're walking and you you enter in a an establishment like you know I don't know KFC and you're wearing a KSP shirt, do people give you the kind of respect that they give a, you know a police officer?
1: I never wear cop stuff anywhere under any circumstances unless it's in the joint, mm. because the people don't like the cops and so. You, I just I'll never wear it. Also, I just, but
0: it, I mean, it's not like a ticket to free food. Like, because I know that there are some places where can cops can roll in, and
1: but it could also be a ticket a ticket to food that has been spiced disgustingly by mm. someone who doesn't like the police. When your brother Billy's in the joint, and you don't right. like the cops, and you might not treat their food so good. Yeah, you know, why are we so, talking yeah. about this, Aaron? You brought it up, boat. <laughs> today's well, uh, today's game is about spending in food and going to jail, right? <laughs> That's i'll tell you
0: i'll tell you it's time aaron to leave this riveting conversation and talk about this week's amiga news, amiga
1: news. all
0: right aaron the first uh the first story this week is that listen you know atari has been kind of on a tear lately uh, they have uh, been going back. They've been their their CEO gave an interview. where He's like, we we want to get back into gaming. We want to leave the realms of casinos and you know online sort of like gambling and things like that. And we want to oh, get yeah. all back in on gaming. And, and uh, you know, so far, I mean, there was some news this week about them getting further into the NFT grift, but we'll we'll leave that be for now. In addition to that, though, uh, you know, they bought Moby Games. They bought AntStream. And look at, th- look at this. They filed a trademark renewal for Ocean Studios. Ocean Studios, Aaron, Ocean Software. The same uh, you know, studio that brought us the Adams Family, a bunch of really kind of terrible movie-licensed games. But there was some good stuff that they did, too. It turns out that uh, they were acquired by Infograms. And, of course, Infograms became Atari. And there you go. So Atari's done nothing with the ocean name for years and years and years, but they have uh, filed for renewal, which has led some people to believe that they are going to bring the ocean moniker and maybe some classic ocean games back. What do you think about that, Aaron?
1: Well, we're looking at this webpage for the news, and I just want to point this out. As they're going through the article describing what's happening, as an example of the brilliance motion, they've they've inserted, I think that's a C64 version of slap fight, which yeah, when your favorite, horrible, oh, no, it's not there's as version no as good good the arcade version, version. But the arcade version. Now, mm. with all that said, uh, it's odd that I didn't re- I didn't know Ocean was actually out. I'll be honest with you; like I didn't know. I thought someone was using it somewhere. You would you'd assume, wouldn't you? Right. Uh, so right. listen, yeah, bring it back. I mean, uh, that name's got a lot of sway, especially in Europe. So you could probably get some sort of action out of it. Now, what? So they filed to renew the the uh, the trademark. Now, what do you do with it? Are we, are we going to see a new Ocean Games? Probably not. Are they going to put, uh, or maybe they're going to do some kind of Ocean Classics compilation? I think Ocean. they're going to go,
0: yeah. I think that's the direction they're going to go in. They're going to make a compilation pack and sell it on Steam and call it the Clash Ocean Pack. Um, and, you know, whether they still hold the copyright for all of their licensed titles, I don't know exactly how that works. I uh, said, there's you, a
1: zero percent chance of that.
0: Well, it, I mean, maybe so. Okay, so say they they did you know one of these classic films like a uh, cliffhanger they did the, the game for. So you know, of that's course, if they want if they wanted to make a new cliffhanger game, they'd probably have to relicense it. But to re-release an already you know a game that's already been out, I don't know if you have to pay for that or not. I don't know how that works.
1: Maybe they could and like for example, instead of re-licensing Street Hawk, they can call it. Roadhawk. You know, making mm. a few minor changes to it. Right. Uh, but I, I will say the two examples we gave, the licenses for those can't be too expensive. Cliffhanger, no one gives a crap about that god awful thing. And Street Hawk, they care even less. So then maybe <laughs> they get those cheap maybe I will say they did license so much garbage that maybe they're getting like the Hudson Hawk license and stuff are going like dirt cheap or the navy okay.
0: seals <laughs> street we, it seems like we talk about street hawk a lot yeah, this like is the one this up. this this is the flying motorcycle right that's right yeah <laughs> now but blue blue thunder was just that's a helicopter helicopter yeah that's okay. right okay yeah. and hudson hawk was also a helicopter right no
1: hudson hawk was a guy that was <laughs> hudson, who's who names a who names a vehicle hudson hawk who names a vehicle blue thunder Well, blue thunder sounds cool Hudson is the name of your helicopter. It's got a first. I mean, Blue Thunder is a descriptive word followed by a cool name. Hudson Hawk is a non-descriptive word followed by a cool name. Have you never heard of like Hudson it. Hawk?
0: I think there was a video game based on it, but I didn't there know if it was ton a movie. Of them.
1: It was a failed. It was a failed, failed movie. You never was heard Bruce of that? Willis in it? Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I i have some recollection of it i've never seen it though oh, is it man. violent
1: i've never seen it no one okay. saw it it's garbage
0: <laughs> um so anyway well we're we'll have face to on this one. we'll have to keep an eye on the uh on the on this ocean news uh it, it would be a lie to say i'm waiting with bated breath but it will be kind of neat to see what what atari has planned let's move on aaron Now, this next story um, is something that I'm a lot more excited about, and this is something that I think uh, our friends in New Zealand, like Gary Hucker, uh, might be excited about as well. This is a Kickstarter, Aaron, to create a Commodore computer museum in New Zealand. Oh, Okay, so New Zealand. And they Zealand, make
1: this stuff at Hurricane.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, this is uh, and this is something that that came across my Twitter feed last week. Um this is a guy who uh basically he has a whole bunch of um of Commodore computers, okay? Yeah. And uh there was a, a guy named Alan Gilchrist and he ran the Commodore Home Computer Museum here in New Zealand from 1995 to 2011. Okay. Well, right. the museum needs a new home okay and this is the this is the uh, rationale that he he gives he says uh commodore computers were the number one selling brand by volume sounds like you're selling a package of chips when you say it like that in the 1980s even out selling commodore australia on a population adjusted basis <laughs> how crazy is that that they sold commodore sold more computers um in new zealand than they did in australia how crazy is that
1: uh, It is odd isn't it who knew what a why
0: Thousands of New Zealand farms were run on the Commodore 64 and the VIC-20. That's what I want to see. I want to see some kind of a farm exhibit that's got a C64 running the show.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. No, I never heard that.
0: Yeah. So anyway, there's all kinds of reasons why this thing should happen. Uh, the Kickstarter is live now. Uh, they've got a ways to go. There's 26 days left. This project has raised just over $1,500. They want to get 66 large for this one, Aaron. That's a, a lofty number. I, but I don't
1: think that's that much.
0: Well, I mean... In the grand scheme of things, maybe not. I'm just saying that they've got a long way to go from from $1,634.
1: According to this website we're looking at, here's a picture of this guy's museum that ran from his garage. Right. That's pretty good right there.
0: I kind of like it. I dig it, man. So
1: I think what this guy's asking for, here's the gimmick, right? He's going to go out and get him one of these pre-built gimmicks, right, buildings, right there. Mm -hmm. He's got a picture of one. And he's just going to put all his crap in there. And he's going to be, that's the museum. I like it. Right. That's the way you do a museum. You just take your stuff, get you a prefab building, stick it in the backyard, put your stuff in it, Kickstarter. It's a good idea.
0: Now, he's and got some He's got some rewards set up. If you scroll down just yeah. past the halfway point on the page, you can get yourself – this is the thing that actually brought me into this thing is you can get a – this is a floppy-styled USB stick. So this is a flash drive yeah. that's made by Retro Games Limited. And they've got a thousand of these things. They look just like little Amiga discs and they're flash drives. Aren't those cool?
1: Those little three, they're little three and a half inch disc stacks. Yeah. Those yeah. are cute. I do like that. I've never seen yeah.
0: So there's some rewards. You can get involved in the in the rewarding if you want to. Uh, but uh, Ooh, yeah. Look
1: at the mug. That's got a yeah. mug from The Last Ninja. The Last cool.
0: Ninja. <laughs> Actually, uh, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, so calendar. Look at that. Yeah, there's it's lots of awesome stuff. stuff. Yeah. And I guess Retro Games Limited. Uh, and uh Coke Media System Three and C64Audio.com. They are all yeah. on board as uh, you know the prize producers of these things. So yeah, you can check this thing out. Just search for Kickstarter.com slash project slash Commodore Museum to now, see the whole thing.
1: Pixels of dawn. Johnny on the spot says this number we looked at here, 66. It says here that's forty six grand in US money. So mm. I guess we're looking at New Zealand, okay. What do they use for money down there? Anybody well, know?
0: I think it's New Zealand dollars.
1: Okay, but I thought they had a cool name, you know, Looney or gooney or something. Well, they
0: might. I mean, who knows what they call yeah. money down so there. But
1: forty forty five grand, that's a good deal. We should we, I think I might chip in on this. I'd be uh, I wouldn't mind being part of that. We're sounds good, Zealand. man.
0: Yeah. It sounds good. All right, Aaron. Now this next uh this next story is actually an eBay auction. Okay. Oh, okay. Now this thing has ended, unfortunately, but I wanted to see how much it went for, if it could reach the, uh, the amount that it was going for, because you don't see these things pop up very often. This was for an A4000 with a toaster, Aaron, with the video toaster, yeah. a V scope and the old TBC four, the TBC four, Aaron. Yeah. Yep. So okay. they, they wanted 25 grand. No, they didn't. Oh, they wanted $2,500 yeah. for I this. Say. Okay. Yeah. Now you could get this, that, that, that does not include shipping. And I think that it might've been free. It was free local pickup from Canton, Georgia. Uh, this okay. thing received wow. zero bids, unfortunately. That's a, How I much that's would a pretty you pay? Good deal. Actually. I was going to say this. I, I thought that sounded pretty in line. How much would you pay for something? Well, like
1: I'll that? tell you something. Here's something that might, uh, enlighten and, and entertain me and the Brent sold a machine that was almost identical to this, hmm. uh, and I mean it was literally same everything. It was the video toaster brand, just like this is. It had the toaster, the 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 uh these boards. I don't know if we had can't remember if we had all these. I think we did. I think it was the exact same setup. And we sold the same out gimmick years ago. Before we just started the show, we sold this thing and we made probably more than this. I mean, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Now we did yeah. ship it. Oh man, shipping that thing, oi. I wouldn't do that again, but yeah, yeah but uh, the to me now we've got some luminaries in here that I actually probably have a lot of the same stuff. I don't know if you guys in the chat if you guys think that's a good deal. Uh, yeah, so he, like here example, Chris Edwards he says he offered the guy fifteen grand and the or fifteen hundred bucks. The guy said no. I think twenty five hundred. I mean, you're probably in the ballpark. The here's the here's the the linchpin is it's free local pickup. That's gonna. Unless you're a big Amiga video producer in Georgia or the surrounding South, that, that sort of takes you out of the deal in a lot of ways because it's absolutely, but I, don't, I don't blame the guy. But what you do is you go get a professional shipper to take care of this, mm-hmm. you know, get, somebody, get yeah. somebody. That's what I would do. That's,
0: that's exactly what I did, you know, when I sold that SGI workstation. I was yeah. scared to death that this thing was going to become injured in transit. And so I just took it over to the UPS store and I said, listen, do whatever you got to do to make sure this thing gets there. And they, they made a special molded, they've got that spray mold stuff yeah. and, uh, and, and they did a good job with it. Cause I mean, yeah, that cost me 50 bucks, but yeah. if you're selling an object, that's 2,500 bucks, that's, that's, that's worth it. You know, if you can sell it for what you want for it.
1: So. If, if I was feeling cause I've driven right past, uh, Canton, Georgia here. I, you know, uh, I've been to Georgia many times. It's not that far. I mean, it is far, but it's not the farthest I've ever went to pick something up. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the price were a little better, you know, uh, uh I might, because I mean, I'd say this is probably just about right, but for pickup only, you got to come down, brother. You got to come down. You know, yeah, I would say uh, 1800 bucks would be where I would place the value of this, uh, but, you know. I've already got a whole bunch of comp- Amigas here, so it's that one's hard. hard to make a, uh, but it, someone will end up, especially now. Someone will call this guy up. If anyone in any of our people go grab this, let us know. Let us know how it goes. Interesting All right, Aaron, how did you this, find out about this boat, by the way?
0: That I think I want to say that Anthony Jarvis uh, posted it on Twitter. I found out. Uh, you know, I find most of my Amiga news on Twitter. And uh, I think he posted a link to it and said, hey, yeah. this is here if you want to pick it up. So uh, I just thank thought you, you were Anthony.
1: trolling, perpetually trolling eBay, looking for angles.
0: <laughs> I do that sometimes. but not how much way.
1: you love actual <laughs> hardware. You got so much of it. I figured you want some more.
0: That's true. Uh, Aaron, this next story, not uh, Amiga related, but Amiga adjacent. Uh, one of our Ooh, favorite good. people in the whole wide world, Rob Flack O'Hara, has just launched a new podcast, Like a DOS like a dos aaron yes now aaron i have not had a chance to listen to this yet because i haven't had a commute it was a snow day today and i plan on listening on my way to work today but you have listened to it tell us about like a dos aaron
1: well first of all i could just tell you that rob flack o'hara has a new podcast enough said that's that is enough for you just to check it out because when flack does a show it's gonna be great uh, he's got the personality for days. And he's just well read, a a learned man. Uh I'm gonna put him over here, but I, I love all of his stuff. And so I listen, I listen I watch I listen to a show of poetry and stuff. I mean, I'm 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 in full in. You're full so in. When I when I heard he was going to do a DOS show, I was very intrigued because I did a lot of DOS gaming myself back in the day, uh before I got the Amiga. And uh um it's there's a wide array of topics he can go into and to start to kick off the series. He did a show on a game that's very, very near and dear to his heart. And you can tell that when you listen to the show, which is rogue. Uh, If you've ever played rogue, God only knows. One thing about rogue is you can, it's on every system. So you can all Mm -hmm. relate to it, you know? Uh, And uh, this is a deep, deep dive in the rogue. I'm talking, deep. He goes into, like, the various keyboard commands, where he puts his hands when he plays. Like, the history of Rogue. Why is it called Rogue? Uh, how did it become licensed from Epics? He goes into the copy protection uh, that's built into it. He goes into the uh, the reasoning behind it. He goes into bots that are made to beat it. He goes deep in here. So, if you're into that sort of thing, you will not come away from this wanting more information. This is, this will take care of your Rogue knowledge from now to doomsday and i'm assuming that this will be the format of the show going forward i know rob probably spent a lot of time working on this and it shows it really comes across it's a a tremendous effort and i think anyone that even has a passing interest in dos or the games that were prevalent during the time that dos uh was uh the king would enjoy uh, this show so I, i i enthusiastically recommend it both
0: fantastic and i can't wait to listen to it because i'm just like you i'm all in on rob flacco here i listen to all of his stuff and uh, i know this is going to be another extremely entertaining podcast
1: and you love dos don't you it's your favorite
0: i hate dos sucks but uh it's uh i'll listen to anything that rob does and he can make anything entertaining i agree all right so aaron speaking of things that you love why don't you talk us through this next story here
1: you know, I've mentioned, for, probably since the very first day we ever did a show, that one of my first loves and what probably the first podcast I ever heard, and uh, one of the it's got to be one of the earliest podcasts that were out there was Retro Gaming Radio from Shane R. Monroe. Uh, Shane did this show for a long time, and it's never been you've never been able to completely go back and listen to it until now. He has. Finally, got around to releasing the definitive collection of Retro Gaming Radio on uh, USB uh, thumbsticks. He's selling these things. Now, this is everything he ever filmed, plus some shows that never aired, and plus all of the interviews he ever did in their entirety. If you look down the list of who he's interviewed, he's interviewed everyone from David Crane to Don Bluth, Ed Rothberg, Gary Goldman, everybody, Howard Scott Warsaw, Larry Kaplan. I mean, everybody. He hit everybody. You want to hear what how Forbidden Forest was made? He's got it. You want to hear about David Crane's thoughts on the newer versions of Pitfall that he wasn't involved in? It's in here. I've heard almost every one of these. And his interviews were great. You want to hear stuff about King of Kong, before King of Kong was made, where he talks to Billy. He also talks to the, the other guy from the movie. They're buddies. They're just hanging out. And this is this is after the events of the movie had went down, because that was all baloney, right. <laughs> is, I guess where I'm going. <laughs> uh, he has everything. The interviews with Howard Scott Warshaw, aside from the fact that he talks about the stuff with Atari, he gets into Howard Scott Warshaw's other documentaries, his Atari documentaries, his S&M documentaries, Whoa. stuff you never knew about. It's all here. Well, And I know you're not the biggest fan of Shane's presentation sometimes, but I mean, cause you haven't listened to hardly anything.
0: Listen, I've never actually listened to Shane. Armoner I
1: knew before. it. These interviews are great. Uh, and Shane gets in there now. I mean, they're older interviews. Of course, this the technology. Now, great, how how I was going to say some of these, I was going to say
0: know. that that's the thing, you know, like I'm sure the interviews are great and the contents are great, but how is the audio quality on these older interviews?
1: It will depend. Won't it? I haven't heard, the, I haven't got this definitive collection yet. So uh, he, he rematched at 37 episodes and some of the, and I know some, I mean, let's put it this way. I listened to all the interviews that that were ever on the show and they were all perfectly, uh, listenable. And I was on a disc man in my car going back and forth to my guard job. This is years ago when there was no MP3 players except for the CD based ones. There were no car mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. So if I could listen to them in that state, I'm sure there'd be plenty listenable now. He really does have a lot of solid gold in here. He talks to the father of the Vectrix. He talks about the, If you ever had any thoughts that, about the team that worked on Dragon's Lair, he talks to them all, Don Bluth, multiple times, including some uh, uh, brief talk on stuff like the Dragon's Lair movie that ended up being unreleased. Uh, it's some real good stuff. Uh, and some. and. Even for, he gets probably the only interview I've ever heard with the guy that does Daphne, the dragon slayer emulation, you know, that's everyone uses Mm -hmm. Daphne. Mm -hmm. It's the guy that does it. He explains why he did it. He explains how he did it. He, and you learn about this guy. He's a real religious guy. He's a, he's a, he's a different sort of cat. You know, uh, it's a very interesting interview. Plus tons and tons of Amiga stuff in here. Shane was an Amiga developer, and a, and a early Amiga adopter and is a big Amiga fan. So there's tons and tons of stuff in here relative to the Amiga as well, including the story of his old uh, job as an Amiga developer when he did uh triple X discs for the Amiga. And that's good that's a it, it sounds lewd, but it's actually pretty interesting to see how that all works and how they go now, about making it. Now, those.
0: here here's the here's the million dollar question. Yeah. This is uh this is a hundred and 150 or so 160 episodes yeah uh 50 dollars delivered to you on 12 thumbsticks or something like that
1: one one thumbstick one 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 thumbstick thumbstick. yeah okay okay he's just Um, got a bunch of them there
0: okay i thought i thought you got that package when you okay no No. so aaron can he (laughs) count you among the buyers
1: oh yeah i'm definitely gonna pick it up i just found out about it the other day you know i've tried to interview shane I've had interviews lined up with him twice now. So, if anyone hears this and orders it, tell Shane to get off his uh, Tuckus and and get with me so we could get it a proper interview because i got a lot of questions asking about the old show. And since he talked to a lot of these developers, I've got some questions uh, about that too. Uh, so, I've always wanted to talk with him about it. And I've had some off the cuff conversations with him, but never a proper interview. Uh, but yeah, hey, listen even if you've never heard of this guy, if you want to hear interviews, I mean, look at this list, just what he's got listed here, you know, Keith Robinson, uh, the television guys, Howard Scott Warshaw, Gary kitchen. I mean, good Lord, Gary kitchen. Uh, these are, these are the best top guys in the retro field. He was at all the old retro gaming conventions too. And so he got a lot of interviews at those from the people that were there. It's definitely worth having a look to see if this is something that might interest you. So I thought we'd put it in the news. Awesome.
0: Great. Um, so Aaron, we finished the news section with one more Amiga story, and uh, this this popped up on the old Discord. Uh, this is an Amiga 2000 running in 4K, okay? 4K, Aaron.
1: Okay, wow. Does that
0: set your world on fire?
1: Holy moly. <laughs> well, I'll tell I you did, this. I did hear 4K.
0: 4K makes text very, very tiny. That's yeah. one thing I know about 4K. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did hear about this believe it or not I didn't see the video of it i did I saw something about this on Facebook or someone mentioned it uh and uh the uh it is listen you're right I mean if you had a massive television set this would you're in business all right uh but it's still neat to yeah. to do it's just kind of yeah. neat that they can do it now I believe this is a uh, uh I believe this has the old uh raspberry Pi gimmick is involved mm-hmm. in the pie storm, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, uh, you know it's it's cool. What the heck, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you can do it, why not? Now, again, no one. I don't think going to run with this. And by the way, just look at all the real estate you've got there. He's got a full version of Director Europe it's running tightly in the corner of the screen, and he's got all this <laughs> stuff running. So <laughs> that's madness. It is. I'm I'm happy you brought that up just so I can see it. You know, speaking of madness, but before we close out the news. Uh, Tomorrow night, uh, uh, boat, it all goes down as we record this. Uh, Tomorrow night, that is uh, January 29th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, boat. Uh, We're going to get busy with the uh, first meeting of 2022 of the International Computer Club. Mm -hmm. I want to give this a quick pitch uh, before the day came. It's the last time i get to plug it. Uh, We have of what I would, uh, you know, and you could arguably say this, is the most stacked and jacked lineup in the history of the ICC. As far as I can tell, we've got eight to nine presenters uh, that are going to be standing by to entertain and enlighten. Uh, We have all sorts of different various things from hardware to software to programming, including an interview as well. Uh, It should be a lot of fun, Boat. We're going to be covering the ZX Spectrum the Amiga, the Coco. Uh, we're going to be covering all sorts of different hardware. It should be a good time and everyone is invited to attend. Yeah. Uh, Edvin
0: sums it up by saying a tight 90 minute show.
1: Yeah. (laughs) If you are watching this show live or, uh, have been to our Twitch channel, you can go there and watch the show again. It'll be 4 PM Eastern standard time, uh, on the Amigos channel on Twitch. Now, you also have the option, if you're a member of our Discord, to join us live via Discord and be in the room uh, di- during the show. Uh, you don't even have to be a presenter; you can just show up, pop in, turn your camera on, and sit back and listen. That's what Boat does. That's you know, what I do, ha- man. Tips a few back and Couple. has a good time, and uh, that you're more than welcome to do that. You can pipe up whatever you want, and if you have something to say, uh, it should yeah. Be Chris fun. also
0: mentioned you can take a bet on when Edmund will fall out of his chair.
1: Well, Edwin, we're putting him on early this time. We know we're starting early, uh, boat. A lot of we've actually started this thing at six thirty, I think, one time. We're starting much earlier, at four p.m. Uh, to accommodate people in different time zones. Now, I don't suspect this is going to run for five or six hours. Uh, oh God, please God, no! But if it it could run for say three and a half, okay, and so this will give everyone a better chance to see it because i don't want anybody to get feel like they're getting shut out it is the international computer club boat Uh, and so we do hope that if you get a chance you'll pop in say hi Uh, it was one of our most well-attended events last year and i think this one will be just as well attended if not uh with a bigger crowd Uh, so again tomorrow 4 p.m the international computer club you got anything to add boat
0: um, No, no, not, nothing but that this uh, one of our presenters tomorrow is Frank from RetroRewind.ca, mm, which segues nice. nicely into uh, talking a little bit about the wonderful service that they offer. You know, no matter if you are into the Commodore 64, say you're the world's biggest fan of the Commodore Plus 4, That's or bad. maybe you kind of like the Amiga. Frank over at RetroRewind has something for you, whether it's recap kits whether it's flash carts, say you just got a Coco and you're ready to go with some gaming, you can plug in a Coco SDC—that's their flash storage uh, device.
1: I believe if Frank you're... said they just got a new a new batch of those ready to go, but as well. So oh. now's the time.
0: Super exciting! Super exciting! There's always new stuff coming up on his site. He's he's in the midst of a million different things all at once. And if you're looking for someplace reliable, dependable, that will ship your products to you at no great cost, and doesn't charge you an arm and a leg for the thing in the first place, look no further than RetroRewind.ca. Um, I can't tell you enough good things about the company. Uh, not only uh, do you, is Frank a great guy, but uh, Jason Warren's also part of the Retro Rewind family now. Did you know that,
1: Aaron? Please go on.
0: Yes. Jason Warren's also a part of the Retro Rewind family. He's got business cards and everything. So uh, the the company is growing because they're so wildly popular. I know uh, I've heard, you know, I was at the old Westchester Amiga user group last week, uh, Aaron. This is an online user group that uh, Amiga Bill runs. It didn't used to be online, but thanks to the unpleasantness, it allows me to take part. And uh, there were guys on there singing the praises of Frank. And so don't just take our word for it because he's uh, our official sponsor. But look around online. Read some testimonials. Frank is the place. Listen, everybody knows that Amiga hardware is expensive. And if you're going to entrust somebody to either send you parts to replace or if you're trusting somebody to take your hardware and fix it and make it better, you've got to find the right person for the job. And that person is Frank over at Retro Rewind, Aaron.
1: I will say this, boat. Uh, we've known Jason for a long time,
0: yeah,
1: and he's sort of our tech guru, uh, mm-hmm. one of the top guys. And I know about his skills. So the fact that Frank brought him aboard, a wise decision, because Jason can go to school, can go to work, yeah. Uh, and Frank already is good at what he does, uh, and he's given you, gentle listener, the ability to save ten percent boat off their usual order. How do they do that?
0: All you have to do is use the promo code Amigos Ten at checkout. All caps Amigos Ten, save ten percent off any order, no matter how small or how large.
1: Very good, boat. Very good.
0: All right, Aaron. Let's leave Retro Rewind and dive slowly into Silent Service.
1: I <laughs> mean, mean, slowly descend into Silent
0: Service. <laughs> That's better. Very That's better. Boat. I should now, have you write my copy
1: for this. For this uh, review, I'm going to start calling you you, boat. Is that okay? <laughs> I love uh, it. So, Silent Service, now, uh, w- you'll recall, Boat, uh, some time ago, we actually took on the sequel to this, Silent Service 2. And I will say I was m- much more familiar with this version than I was the sequel. So Me too. when we played that, I was sort of, uh, you know, swimming in the dark, as it Lost were. Lost in the
0: harbor, as now, it were. Th-
1: now, I will say, it's been a while since I uh, hopped, opened the hatch, and hopped down into the sub, but by God, we did it again this week. I know you've heard of this, so I'm not going to ask. Uh, this is Silent Service, uh, released in 1986 on a disc and published by Microprose. Now, uh, Microprose uh, was behind everything in this game. They published it, they put it together, uh, designed by the great Sid Meier. Of course, we all know him from, if anything, Civilization and a number of other games, uh, this was coded by Russell Finn, Silas Warner, and the graphics were done by Michael Hare and Michelle Milan. Now, uh, these are these are your Micro, micro crew. They've worked on a lot of this stuff. This is an old game, so we're, I want to start with this. Think it, it's funny because I was just watching a documentary on. In fact, this is double funny because I was. Well, I told you I went back and watched our review of Silent Service Two and we pitched the sh- uh, we pitched the documentary on that show uh, that is a, basically a documentary about how the Amiga it was a burial about how they went out of business i can't remember the name of Ralph man, but it was a full on burial it was not sweet and they went into the early days of the Amiga and you forget about how the Amiga started because now you know you're sitting on top of the big dog Amiga but there was a time where your Amiga was the the Amiga was the Amiga 1000 you put in mm-hmm. your Kickstart 1.1 or 1.2 discs, and that was what you had. You didn't have uh, a bunch of memory stuff. You didn't have an accelerator because it was 1986, okay? This is early on. And you've got to remember that when you look at games like like this particular one. You've also got to remember uh, what? how did this game get here, all right? Before we even get into the game, how did it get here? Well, this game had proven popular on uh, the PC, and so a lot of people in the early days of Amiga were tipping, were dipping their toe into the pool boat to see if this was going to be a nice fit for them and to see if they could swim the waters with Amiga and Commodore. And so what that resulted in is a lot of games being ported over from like 8-bit machines, all right? And right. this is a game that showed up on a lot of 8-bit machines back in the day. And so when you look at the Amiga version, uh, you're seeing some, uh, I would say some, uh, halfway decent upgrades, but nothing earth shaking, you know, from, from the other, from the other machines. And I know you play, I think it's a these. little,
0: I think it's a little bit of a stretch to call it halfway decent.
1: Well, I, it's what I pretty mean,
0: much is, I mean, this, if you look at the eight bit ports of this game yeah. and you look at the, and then you look at the 16 bit ports, the, the, there's more colors, right? Uh, it's slightly higher fidelity. Right, but there, there much more could have been done. But so the,
1: mouse, the mouse control, I think, the is mouse a, is
0: control a, is the big is thing. Big but that's deal. not necessarily right. a sixteen bit upgrade.
1: Right, but I, what I, I guess what I'm saying here, Boat, is, and I'm like, it's not a burial of, of of the game. It's just this is the way a lot of these early games were, because people were learning and they didn't know how to program necessarily for the the Amiga all that well, and it was a lot easier to port something and just sort of skim the surface of what the Amiga could do. And I think this is a game. Of its time, so before we get into it, that's something I thought we get because I mean, clearly, you could obviously make a much. I mean, Silent Service Two was a much more attractive game with better sound effects and stuff. It's because they were trying a little bit harder with that one. This one, I think, was more of a try, trying to see how things were going to go. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. I mean, in nineteen eighty six, it was still far from certain if the Amiga was going to succeed as a platform. So I right. don't blame them for for going in, not going insane.
1: I didn't realize how shaky the Amiga start was. I mean, it was real touch and go early on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know people scoff at that now, but I mean, there was absolutely the possibility that the Amiga was not going to survive. That's an absolute yeah. fact. And Commodore was in deep trouble. Uh, people forget that they were they were near bankruptcy uh, for a while until, until really the 500 sort of put, pulled them out, plus a lot of business moves, liquidating stock and whatnot. I mean, the Amiga 1000 wasn't a great seller at the time. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it was really surprisingly low. So you're you're making games on a unproven platform. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with all that said, luckily for Amiga, this game was put out on every platform, proven, unproven, and everything else. <laughs> I did not realize. Yeah, I'm going to go through this list, but just so, to show you how wacky it is. The usual suspects are on here, but we don't get a game that has this sort of crossover very often. So you've got the Amstrad, the Apple II, the uh, 8-bit Ataris, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't know this got an 8-bit release until you told me. I didn't either, yeah. The ST, the C64, the Amiga, the Apple GS. So there's two Apple ports. Mm-hmm. The PC, and I think the PC also got a booter version and a DOS version. The uh, TRS-80 color computer, the Speccy. By the way, the TRS-80 color computer, I want to say that again, the Spec-y, the and the Thompson mo 6 8, and 9. Okay. Wait,
0: there's a Cocoa version of
1: this game? Yes, that's a Coco. version. I had no version. idea.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm going to to fire that up tonight.
1: So, that is a lot of uh, crazy, crazy porting going on. And so, this was just one... Maybe they were just throwing darts at the board and seeing which one came closest to be the success. You never know. Uh, but Or maybe they had a, a plan. So, with all that said, what is Silent Service? But I'm going to let you take the helm here. Explain Silent Service, if you may.
0: Silent Service is a submarine quote-unquote simulation. Uh, I would call it a very light simulation of submarining. Uh, What it does is it allows you to pretend that you are in a World War II submarine, one of uh, several World War II submarines, and your job is to seek out and destroy enemy Japanese craft. The whole game takes place in the Pacific theater of War uh, between the years I believe of 1942 and 1945 maybe 1944 is the, the latest there might be a 40 an early 45 scenario in there and uh, what you can do is that the game offers you choices of how you want to approach your simulation. This is one of the genius things about this game. Is that it lets you participate in how much of a sim you want it to be on almost every level. Say you just want to go out and blow some stuff up. Well, you can just select target practice as an option and go out to a, a, a go out to a base. There are some old cargo ships that are out there floating in the Pacific. You can blow them up and have a grand old time. Okay. Say you get used to that and you're ready for some real. Uh, real ship action whether you can choose any number of convoy missions which basically puts you right into the heat of battle from the start and allow you to experience the thrill of combat in both day mode night mode there's sonar mode lots of different ways that you can engage with the enemy and destroy the enemy okay then Say so you're ready for the full-on silent service experience. Well, then you select the third option, which is War Patrols. And in War Patrols, you get this very far zoomed-out map. It's basically, it's like looking at a globe. You're that far zoomed out, and you see the whole Pacific theater of war. You've got Midway Island. You've got your bases on Australia. And it's your job to patrol around the areas where the Japanese were likely to be during that particular time period. Uh, When you get, uh, when you sight the enemy, uh, their screen flashes red. It says enemy sighted. And then you immediately go into a close combat scenario where you have to chase down the enemy and you have to destroy the enemy. Uh, Now, how does the game work? Well, the game takes place from the the kind of the uh, the the central command of your ship. In the central command of your ship, you have uh, it's it's all graphics, which is another thing that I love. There's there's uh, it shows you a graphical representation of. I don't want to. It's not the bridge because the bridge is like on the. Oh, well, actually, maybe it is the bridge because the deck is
1: the thing that's above water. So we'll call right. it the bridge. Yeah. Uh, well, I think okay. in the game they actually. I think they call it the bridge in the game. Do they call it the bridge?
0: I was, I was, I didn't want to call it the bridge because I thought I that was they the call, wrong term. I
1: think they call the area where you're at most of the time the conning tower. The conning tower.
0: That's what. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you see the conning tower, and uh, you see yourself represented as a guy. And you can either go to the periscope, look in the periscope, look around. You can check out the maps, and the maps are super maps because they're they're not really maps at all. It's basically like uh, accessing your drone that can see. You can see the uh, your ship plus all the ships that you're fighting against. You can zoom out, you can zoom in. You can yeah. look at your gauges. That's another one of the options. See how you're doing with fuel and things like that. You can check your damage. Uh, which to check your damage, you actually go into like the hold of the ship. You go down below. And And then you can also return to patrol, which means that you go back to your zoomed out view, your ultra zoomed out view. All of the game takes place from one of those four or five stations, okay? And in most of the game, you're you're just toggling between the map screen and the periscope screen. Because when it all comes down to it, you're just trying to get close enough to fire on the ship's sink the ships and then move on you know and if you're doing convoy actions then that means as soon as you destroy all the ships you get a score if you're doing war patrols it is a constant you get so many days of fuel and you have to sink as many ships as you can before returning to the base when you run out of fuel and that's the end so that's essentially the game in that shell. you think i did okay describing it, there
1: i think you did good boat uh before we get too far, I, I want to brag for a minute here, Boat, Before I talk about how stupid I am, look at this. Bam! This is one I actually own. We don't do too many wow, things yeah. I actually own. I own this one, you know. And I wanted to. I've got the. Uh, I've got the rule book here. This is a not that thick a book. I was. I mean, it's it's still pretty beefy. but It's not horrible. But as this, far as the
0: simulation goes, it's not yeah, very big.
1: This is from Sid himself. I, I thought this was worth mentioning because uh, it's in the foreword of the book. It says. Uh, This simulation was inspired by the book Clear the Bridge by Richard H. O'Kane.
0: that's what I'm talking about. Clear the bridge whenever you you start to go down. So the bridge is the place that's above water.
1: Uh, Commander of the USS Tang during World War II. My hope was to capture in this simulation some of the tense situation, quick decision making, and decisive action so characteristic of World War II undersea combat. Uh, I like the fact that he wrote this little forward on here. I think it's kind of neat. And when you go through here, you mentioned some of this, uh, that the manual is, this is another one of these games where the manual is an absolute essential part of the game. It's not only
0: an essential part of the game, it's also a great read. I read yeah, this it, thing cover to cover, and it never became tedious. Yeah. It never became dull. There wasn't a ton of extraneous information in it. There wasn't a novella. There was none of that crap.
1: You get your You get your maps... And these maps can uh, there for each, there are all these scenarios, and the, these maps include where you need to go during right. the scenarios. So they're important uh, to show yeah, you the when, shipping lanes and whatnot. Whenever
0: whenever you go on War Patrols, and this is a thing, because I played this mostly on the Nintendo when I was a kid. And, um, and so I would go on these War Patrols, and I would be circling around p- the Pacific like a dope, and I'd be like, where are all the enemies at? And the thing is, you have to use the manual to see where the shipping lanes are in each phase of the war, because as Japan's power weakened towards the end of the war, their shipping lanes became smaller and smaller until finally in 44, you have to be right up against Japan to find any enemies. So it's really interesting. And it's also one of those sort of like, I'm teaching you something while I'm teaching you how to play the game. And they don't overdo the teaching part of it.
1: And that that's That's in the game. I mean, your your patrol is – that's the – the difficulty of the game is as the war goes on, you've got less and less targets, and they're closer and closer to the mainland. They're more well-protected. All the game uh, scenarios in this are based on actual scenarios that really happen with real boats. If you look at the high score table, those boats, they're listed in the order of tonnage. In this game, your high score table is how many tons you sank. Mm-hmm. And they're the in the high score table. They've got the actual tonnage that the people sank in real life
0: mm-hmm. in these
1: scenarios. So it's this didn't so they didn't just throw this thing together. This is the real deal. Now, uh, let's talk about the game play in terms of controls and playing the game proper. Uh, there, you're this is all menus all the time. I mean, but for the most part, uh, you're flipping well, around. I mean,
0: you have direct control over the periscope, but that's right. it.
1: Right. Well, also, when you go to the very top, you can actually control your guy looking around on the on the top. Yeah, anytime yeah. you're
0: looking around, you've got direct control.
1: Uh, First of all, you talked about at the, the uh, bit where you actually move the cursor around till you spot a convoy with the cursor, the, the screen will light up, and it'll say, Enemy Detected, or whatever. I did, of course, it has been a, a million years since I played this. I'd forgotten about that, and so for the longest time, I just sailed around in empty water like an idiot. Uh, and I... <laughs> It was so infuriating. And then once I remembered that, I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, this game is uh, um, a game of its time. It's it's not the quickest game, but it does have time compression to make things move along, which helps. Uh, but it's really in a lot of ways. I mean, I was going to ask you this. Did this game seem more basic to you than you remember yes. as, a, as a child? Yes, I 100%. I, I mean, it is deep. And in some areas, I mean, the like if you look at this, they've got the manual has uh, angles for torpedo firing from underwater and stuff about how Japanese convoys operated. So it they the manual fleshes it out a lot, but in actual practical use, you drive your U boat near some ships, you try not to get detected, you shoot some, you move away, you hope they don't hear you, you try to avoid them, then you shoot some more until you're until you have to go back to port or you get sank that's pretty much the game you know well
0: there i mean there are yes and no because i mean that that is pretty much the game but you can sum up lots of games in the same way right a big part of the complexity of this game comes from toggling on the difficulty options. Yes. And if you're anything like me, which I know you are, you didn't do that very much. I turned, I, know, it in, I
1: did fiddle with them. I, but I mean, usually I turned a lot of stuff off.
0: Right, like right. Especially because, stuff
1: like zigzagging and stuff, and, and visual, like how much your view was obstructed, I turned that right. off too
0: because a lot of the difficulty in the game means like when you turn on all, all the angle stuff and you have to set the angles for things and stuff like that, that that, that can get complex to be successful at. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it, but at its root, there aren't a whole lot of options and there aren't a whole lot of things to do, but in real life on a submarine, there weren't a whole lot of options and a whole lot of things to do. I mean, you were out there for a reason. You were out there to sink ships I did think it was interesting. There were little things about this game that uh, that I thought were cool. For example, if you are in one of the early war scenarios, the torpedo technology was actually different than the later torpedo technology. Do was you remember crap. reading about this in the volume? Yeah, the thing?
1: I, I've heard. Actually, I talked to my buddy at work about this because the so, torpedoes were no good at first.
0: Right. They well, they were there were a lot of duds, yeah. and they were propelled by a stream of alcohol being being lit and then that 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 uh that air that was uh, that was uh that was generated by that would would propel the torpedo forward unfortunately it also released a steady stream of bubbles to the surface so you could see where the torpedo was coming from just like and in so, the movies right and so when you're playing one of these early scenarios as soon as you fire a barrage of torpedoes you have to dive immediately and get out of the way or else they're going to come for you yeah So So you 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 know there's there's thankfully there's there's little things like that. Well you can't you can't turn it off when you you, when you're
1: when they just fail. You right, you turn can turn off, off dead daylight. torpedoes,
0: but you can't turn off the, the the bubbles that come. You know the the tracking bubbles. Essentially, is, there, any, is there
1: anything that makes you sicker than shooting, having somebody dead in your sights and your torpedo didn't work? <laughs>
0: oh yeah, yeah. I turned off I turned off dead torpedoes all, all the time. because you know, I don't want that.
1: It may have been you that told me this. Someone told me this, but the guys that ended up ultimately modifying these torpedoes were almost court-martialed before they realized, mm. like, oh well, why would you? These guys have the highest kill rating. What are we right. doing? And then they changed all the torpedoes. So you yeah. know,
0: it's it's funny it says the sailors actually used to drink the alcohol, so they <laughs> so they add they had to add some foul tasting additive to it to stop them from drinking, but they still drank it anyway.
1: That's, that's <laughs> a sailors for you. Yeah. Listen,
0: now, if you're on a sub for six months, I don't blame them.
1: You know, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the uh, another sub game, 688 Attack Sub, you'll recall that one. And one thing it does, it it's sort of similar in a lot of ways. It's got a centralized location, pretty much the same spot uh, that you do all your work from. But it's got like a crew in it. This sub feels weird because like you're the only guy on the sub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a everything. very small sub. It's yeah, so what's <laughs> a one man sub? Is that what it is? Did you ever successfully fire your deck guns and hit anything? Yes. Did so the you? the
0: key the key to firing your deck gun is that what you do is you you fire on a convoy. You get a ship that's almost sunk. You roll up to it, you surface, you shoot the duck gun at the ship to sink it quickly, then you immediately... It's one of the most exciting things in the game. When you've got destroyers bearing down on you and you've almost sunk a cargo ship, if you roll up on that cargo ship, surface, fire your duck guns, and get back down under the water and escape before the rest of the convoy catches up, oh, it's awesome. It's freaking exciting.
1: You can see how this game is a tough... It's The entry on this is not easy. I don't think because when you first boot it up and you're looking through all the different areas, like you've got one area that has ship damage. Well, you know, you know, and so you don't go there unless the ship's damaged, but that's where it is. Then you've got one of the areas that's nothing but gauges. It's mm-hmm. the most intimidating screen ever put in a video game. You just look at yeah. it and you're like, Holy God, what am I gonna do here? Luckily it doesn't it's not super I mean it's important, but it's not. You know, but you can it's funny, once you sit down and I read the manual, just like you did. I read the whole thing. And with the manual's help, you could sit down and play this comfortably and not feel like a total, like I was thinking stuff right out of the gate, mm-hmm. you know, again. Now, I had played this years ago, but I didn't, once, it seems like a steep learning curve, but I think once you get in there and try it, you'll be okay. And really maneuvering the sub, not hard, is it? I mean, it's no. actually pretty straightforward.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the and, and the way that the, uh, the way that it works, like you basically, you set the angle of your rudder And then you select how, you know, and then you go down the throttle one, two, three, or four. But the big thing that makes you turn really quickly is when you start to uh, make time go faster. Because at its normal speed, your submarine sort of crawls along. But when you speed that time up to eight, you can really motor through the Pacific Ocean. So I enjoyed that aspect a lot. I like, there's two things that I love about this game. One, it doesn't take a lot to get into some action. Okay, I love the fact that they put in the the convoy actions Uh, uh, mode that that sets you right into that. Yeah, I love that too. And two, uh, the fact that you can speed up time means that like, even if you screw something up and you're on the wrong angle and you're heading away from the convoy, you can get turned around pretty easy and and come back at them again.
1: Yeah, I I will say, once the convoy has a bead on you, you're screwed. I mean, if they've got anything out there do any damage. And it is funny, because when you get sank you just see your your little conning area slowly start filling with water. Not slowly, it's pretty quick, and you're gone. And then you're done.
0: Now, there is a scoring mechanic in this game that is interesting, because a lot of games like this, I mean, I don't know, I don't play a whole lot of simulations, but I don't really associate like a high score table with a simulation game. But I'm glad that they did that, because for an arcade guy like I am, I'd get in there and I'd sink some ships and and I would get my ranking, and I'd be like, well, I can probably do a little bit better than that. If that wasn't in there, I wouldn't have been as inspired to give these different scenarios two, three, four
1: times ago. I want to make a correction, and I, I was the more I thought about it, the more I didn't believe it. When I went off a, uh, a little while ago about the uh Coco getting copies, that was incorrect. I thought it was, but I was. It's what Wiki I read it two places. Never trust nothing. It was the Tandy One Thousand. They made a mistake. The oh. Tandy One Thousand has sixteen color version of this, okay. and that's that. So for a few, just to get myself off the hook, you don't want to anger the Coco people. They'll come for no, you in the night. Never uh but uh, so there you go i will say it's it's nice that the coke that the tandy get a version uh, because the cga version is not attractive so at least they get the
0: the cga version is available on steam right now for a dollar 75 so feel free to pick that up or not
1: I, I will say there is no attractive version of this game right i mean it, at bare minimum it's passable like the Amiga yeah. version, is like a knock your socks off it's the amiga version day. is
0: definitely the best looking that i've seen yeah. but it's yeah it's 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 no great shakes especially the uh the, the ship the, the periscope view it leaves a lot to be desired
1: but i mean it's it's the one thing about this, in my opinion. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of simulation games, but I do like the sub stuff. I mean, it's funny how it works. I kind of like the slower stuff. Uh, I think this plays quite nicely, uh, and I mean, it, it does what it does well. Mm-hmm. I think I like it. I like a game. I don't want to get too deep into it. And this thing, like I said, you can get in. You can get the manual out of this thing, and you can find out about what angle to have your sub at as you're servicing to shoot the torpedoes and the, the habits of a Japanese convoy and all this other stuff, you could read all that and take that into account. And I have no doubt they put math in the game to simulate that. Or you could be like me... And shoot the long blocky thing with a little missly thing, which is what I yeah. do. That's what makes There is there
0: man. are a couple things that I they could have done that would have made this better for me. One is to eliminate the gauge view completely and combine the gauge view with the periscope view so you yeah. can see how many torpedoes you have left without having to leave the periscope view. Cause in a normal sub, you're going to have multiple people. And so if they got on the periscope, it's like, how many we got left in there? Then Scotty will say, four, Captain. Because that's what they say. And Scotty's uh, there Scotty's on there. And so uh i I wish that they would have combined a couple of these things together. So but at the same time, part of the fun of the game is walking around the sub and, and looking at different things. And if you combine all that on the Periscope View, you're basically gonna spend the whole game in Periscope
1: View. Let's so. let's talk about the controls on this. Did you use the mouse basically to get from menu to menu? or Did you use the function keys, both? I
0: use the mouse. Uh, when I played this on the Amiga, I used the mouse and then I, I use the it. arrow keys. Uh, you can use the uh the mouse and click on the left and right to adjust the periscope, but I use the uh the arrow keys to move left and right.
1: I use the mouse for everything in this, including steering the ship, diving. I will say the mouse interface for this we've played much worse. Yeah. In the past. Yeah. Uh, and much more strategy games, I mean yeah. they did and and if you hit your second mouse button, uh it will bring you back to the conning tower view. Mm-hmm.
0: It's very convenient
1: it's actually quite good, and then having the function keys there when that when it gets real quick and you've got to make split second decisions, that helps, but I thought the mouse uh, worked real well, and that's one thing you're gonna have i don't I'm assuming do you think they would put mouse support in with the DOS versions? I wouldn't even know. And I,
0: well I tell you this um on the uh, the NES version they do have a cursor you know you are moving a cursor around with the controller the coolest thing about the NES version is that the second controller, you use the second controller to move the periscope around. So the second controller D-pad moves the cursor around. And my friend Amber and I used to play this all the time, and we would pretend like we were on the the sub. You know, I would be the periscope guy and the gunner, and she would be the navigation or whatever. It's a fun way to make a one-player game a two-player game.
1: Very good. Very good, Boat. You know, we talked about this briefly at the opening, that there were 8-bit versions of this released. a lot of them actually, now, before we get to the C sixty four version, you you actually played the Atari version a little bit this week, didn't you? The, uh, the I did, 8-bit. I did. So what is, and uh, how does it how does it stack up?
0: Uh, it is uh, it's it's okay. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not as pretty as the Amiga version, but all the cool. functionality is still there. Yeah. Um. Oh. It. it the, the. You know. I. If I was a kid and I didn't have anything else but the Atari, then I would have been extremely, extremely happy to get this because this was a pretty late release for the Atari 8-bit. You know, uh, uh, it actually, uh, um, you know, it came out, you know, by the time 86 rolled around, uh, if this did in fact come out on the 8-bits in 86, the ST had already been out for over a year, so we were lucky to get anything by then.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you're watching along with us, I've got the comparison between the Amiga and the uh, and the C sixty four version. Now, if you think about this boat, and of course you've I you've played them, but w- if you took out the mouse entirely, and you could still play this game perfectly acceptably with the function keys, which I'm assuming that's how the Atari and Commodore versions. Oh play
0: yeah, out. well if you in, in the manual, you know it's the same manual for all the computers, yeah. and they give you a grid that shows you all of the different uh, keystrokes for everything, and once you get the keystrokes down. You know, once you've got those memorized, you could probably actually play this faster and more efficiently with the keyboard. Just like when you're using keyboard shortcuts doing anything, you can do it faster than using a mouse. So, um, you know that that doesn't stand in the way of it at all. Um, I did fall into using the mouse on the Amiga just because it, I didn't have to learn the keyboard shortcuts. That's the reason why the mouse became adopted. Um, but uh, but you, this is definitely a playable game on all of the platforms that I've tried it
1: on. Now, I will say uh, one of the advantages of playing this on the Amiga. Uh, or on the Atari ST, there's actually a scenario in here you don't get anything else. Uh, the uh, uh, Cavella hits the jackpot scenario is exclusive to the Atari ST and the Amiga. Mm. Uh, so, mm. hey, there you go. Uh, at least they packed a little extra in uh, both. Yeah. But I think yeah. the C64 version, again, it's it's... It is what it is, but I mean, in terms of the it's not going to affect the game way the game plays right uh, and it's probably perfectly acceptable it's neat like I, said, I love it when we could compare game contemporary games on these eight bits to the sixteen bits it's always neat to see how they made the jump, you know, and I guess at the time if you had a c sixty four and you saw the amiga version, this might be kind of impressive for you as opposed to looking back now and you're like, look at that, but I mean you know eh, it did okay um, when I was a
0: kid, I always thought this game looked great.
1: So, yeah, there you yeah go. me too it's funny how that works yeah uh and, i mean you gotta think at the time simulations were just floating around i mean it's just like wow look at that that's you're actually in the sub and right. you've got that feeling that now you sort of you've seen it all now yeah. uh yeah. did we get any discord action on this boat
0: we sure did we sure did let me look it up here um i know that we got a couple reviews the first one comes from carl blitter blitter and he says Uh, Silent Service is a solid World War II sub-simulator, which captures the atmosphere and tension of the environment well. With an excellent range of difficulty and realism options, a staple of MPS sims, you have the option from simplified play right up to full military accuracy, requiring a level of knowledge on real submarine operations and tactics. Naturally, like all sims of the period, the game manual is a must-have. However, with the benefit of hindsight and looking back nearly 35 years later, it's clearly limited both by its development and release date and its 8-bit relations. It's difficult to recommend this as the go-to sub-simulator of choice on the platform when compared to its later contemporaries, such as the much-improved and polished sequel, Silent Service 2, or the best sub-sim on the platform, Red Storm Rising, which was also from MPS. Nonetheless, still a great sub-sim, especially for 1987, and much like Pirates, it's still worth a play if a fan of the genre. 7 out of 10 from Carl. Mm -hmm. We got one more review from Lobsterminator. He says, a relatively early Amiga game, which feels more like an 8-bit conversion than a true Amiga game. I really liked Silent Service on the C64, and it's okay on the Amiga, but Silent Service 2 is when it really went 16-bit. This game was the beginning of my love for Sub-Sims, but when it comes down to the Amiga, I would instruct people to the sequel instead. 6.5 out of 10.
1: You know, uh, these their reviews, Dove nicely into the reviews that this got. There weren't a ton, because again, this is 86, so it's mm. not like they were getting a lot of coverage. Uh, Lemons uh, users gave it a 7.78. Amiga Joker gave it a 71%. and Of course, they reviewed it well after the fact. Info Magazine reviewed this on the Amiga and gave it a three and a half out of five. With all that said, though, uh, this thing was given quite a bit of praise uh, outside of uh, the magazines. Uh, For starters, uh, it was named Best Adventure Game for Home Computers 1986. It won the the Charles Roberts Award for Outstanding Achievement. Uh, In Germany, it was Simulation of the Year and Happy Computing. It was the best simulator critic's choice in family computing uh, in the USA. In England, it won an Oscar award uh, for best simulation. And in France, it was best simulation of the year in Tilt magazine. So it was heaped heaped with praise, Boat. And when well, you do that well all over the world, what happens? You move units. Now, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a number here for the amount of units that sold on the Amiga, but According to Wiki, uh, this sold 250,000 copies uh, on the uh, on the C64 by March of '87, and eventually sold over 400,000 copies, a hefty number, uh, uh, indeed. So this was a pretty well received game, Boat.
0: It's kind of interesting because it did get a sequel, you know, Silent Service Two. Yeah. But after that, nothing. You'd think that a a series this beloved. Uh, would have kept going in some way. I mean, perhaps, even if perhaps
1: e- the the demise of Microprose may have something uh, to do with it.
0: Maybe so. Uh, maybe that. Maybe this the the name died with the company.
1: I uh, looked this up on the eBay boat in case you're really interested. Of course, I've got my copy. Uh, if you'd like to own a copy and be all man, you can get this uh, for twenty bucks or best offer in the USA. Uh, there's several of them available, and the discs. If you just want the disc for some reason, you can get it for five bucks. I think uh, it's probably worth getting this just for the manual. Although I will say the, as I recall, the manual for uh, Silent Service Two is quite a bit heftier, so that may be the one. It's interesting, boat. Just to close this up, I don't know how big a war buff you are, but originally, when the way way back when the U-boats were first used they were considered very cowardly by a lot of countries who did not like, it was, it was not a very, uh, it was not a very noble way to conduct war. Sure. And, and the second Pearl Harbor happened, uh, that all changed, especially in the States where we cranked out U-boats and used them <laughs> all day long. So yeah. I think the old, what's good for the goose uh, is good for the gander came into play there. Uh, a fascinating genre of, of games and i i hope there's some more to try because i kind of i kind of like going back to play this i enjoyed it more than i thought i would after playing the second one and yeah. i'm always interested to try new ones boat
0: yeah absolutely you know uh lobster is talking about the silent hunter series which i guess is a contemporary sub simulation i'm gonna have to give that a shot because i liked my time with silent service and i'd like to see what the uh what the modern world of sub simulation is like ditto all right, Aaron, as we leave the game of the week, we should probably talk about what's been going on on the old YouTube channel, shall we?
1: Well, we've, we've there's been some activity, Boaster. Let's get into it a little bit, my friend. So um, last week, of course, uh, we did a Tower of Babel on the show. And so this week, I'm going to live up to the moniker you gave me and babble on for 10 minutes about all the stuff that we've put out since we did that. Because there's been a ton of <laughs> stuff here, folks. Um, some of these aren't out yet. Most of them are. So the first thing we've got to talk about is myself and the Brent, uh, it finally happened Our look back on 200 episodes of ARG, including, uh, some of the episodes you were in, uh, you got a shout out boat or two as we did this. Uh, we went through and picked out our top three, each favorite, uh, systems to look at over the last 200 episodes and our least favorite system as well, which we both, uh, and Brent's out of his mind with his, but I'll let you be the <laughs> judge of that, and some, some wacky uh, highlight reels and general mayhem. We had a good time, uh, and so if you are interested in that at all, check it out. Uh, this week, I should mention, uh, in fact, filming Sunday live on the same channel, if you're interested, we will be looking at Brazilian exclusives on the Sega Master System.
0: That's so, fantastic.
1: Yeah, did you know about that?
0: I i saw that you picked your game. I may uh fire it up tonight during your stream while I'm watching you.
1: There you go. There you go. So there you go if you're in ARG presents. Now, let's talk about uh our new Cocoa release, Boat. Holy smokes. This <laughs> this inspired my live stream for this evening. Uh this is WrestleManiac. Tell us about mm-hmm. it, Bo. What'd you think of this one? You loved it. So
0: yeah WrestleManiac is uh is is something all right uh it, <laughs> it's it's a game that uh is best played with two players although the fun is debatable even with two players uh you basically run around try and punch and kick each other into a submissive state in which you can do a uh and a bigger like move
1: a submissive <laughs> state
0: well i mean it's a, what you, i call it like i see it They're and to uh hurt
1: to fight back a submissive state sounds completely <laughs> different
0: <laughs> and uh and and eventually uh in theory <laughs> you can pin the other person and win the game i was totally unable to do that against Should the computer I, opponent yeah. on the upside the computer opponent was completely unable to pin me
1: just so we way, ran around like I fools kid said, yeah two dudes looking for their car keys that's an accurate <laughs> that's an accurate listen i bought this game back in the day for the cocoa because so i was desperate for some wrestling action me and Ho's used just play this It was for two players you could have there is some fun to be had i will mm-hmm. admit it's not the strongest game we've played on the show, but sometimes our loss is your gain. So you can tune in and watch us uh, eviscerate WrestleManiac if that is your cup of tea. These are going to talk about these next two segments uh, as one here. You know we've got a, a, a our buddies, an affiliate of ours, our good friends over at the Pixel Gaiden Show. Both mm-hmm. they've got a gimmick that they've pulled out. I like this gimmick, by the way, where they interview some of their patrons and. And they're asking them, what is the crown jewel of their collection? And they've interviewed a couple people that we may have heard of because we both know them and love them. Uh, This first one is Eric uh, interviewing our uh, good buddy, Pajaco. There's Pajaco right right there if you ever wondered what he looked like. Uh, Pajaco, uh, uh, a drop-dead handsome man. He showed off his Atari ashtray he's got, which I I am envious of that. Uh, This was very entertaining because these... uh, these crown jewels aren't necessarily the most valuable thing in your collection, or just the crown jewel, you know, the thing that's most close to your heart.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, I watched both of these and uh, yeah. I was highly entertained. 48 K talked about his uh, special 48, uh, Atari 400 yeah. that has the external keyboard and everything. And so, yeah, very cool. I, I think this is a great segment and I hope that they do more of these.
1: Yeah. It's a good angle. I, I liked it too. I really enjoyed these look behind 48 K. Of course I watch him stream every week. On Tuesdays, I believe it's every Tuesday at uh right around seven. I believe is when he does it, it may be six thirty. But look in the background, all the all the stuff back there. Yeah, he's got lots a house. Of cool stuff. He needs a a, a fifty thousand dollar building for his museum. He could put one together too. Now, last but not least, Boaster of our currently released options, it's our good buddy Fred and He's moved past Barbie and Disney. Now we're on to Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Yeah. This is part one of four uh, uh, of shows he's done on Bugs and Daffy. Three and a half hours in part one here. Bugs. Oh
0: my gosh! Wow. Frodo
1: is the war and peace of deep dives when it comes to these games. <laughs> he doesn't. He, no game escapes his. Trust me, as, the, as following him up with the Barbie stream, no game escapes his his sight. He's like the Sauron of these games. And so, if you wanted to see Frodo go through four million games featuring Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. This is the show for you, and and his upcoming shows will also be the shows for you. Uh, you've played a ton of these systems over the years, but did, uh, do you have a favorite Bugs and Daffy uh, game that you've played, or can you think of any that you've played? It's been another- uh, I've
0: played uh, quite a bit of Bugs Bunny uh, 50th Anniversary Celebration. It was either 25th or 50th, but I'm pretty sure it's 50th Anniversary Celebration. Uh, by and large, these games are not very good. Uh, oh, Looney, Tunes uh, Looney Tunes properties, Looney Tunes properties, rarely translate well into video games, and uh, which is which is odd because you think they make great games, but uh, but they don't.
1: Have you ever played the uh, Looney Tunes pinball machine?
0: No, I have not. I, I
1: think it's called B- Bugs Bunny's Birthday or something like that. Uh, it's not it's renowned for cr- it's crappery. I will mm-hmm. it's another one. So even in the realm of pinball, the Looney Tunes have been putting out garbage. Now it seems like I played a good Looney Tunes game with a dreamcast, like a cart racer or something. I could be nuts, but it seems like there was an athlete the cart racer. I can see that. But I mean, cart racer, when right. you do a cart racing game, you're really, you know, you're scraping
0: the bottom of the barrel.
1: Well, you're not reinventing anything here with the old cart. It's not like they mm-hmm. came up with something. No one else had, you know, it's right. wacky guys in a car. Uh, but anyway, Frodo may prove us both fools as he goes through these things. So please tune in. Check Frodo out. Frodo can stream just static and make it entertaining. I highly recommend you check out the Fro-ster. Uh Boat, I think that's all of our current releases, my friend. All right.
0: Well, uh, it's probably time to talk about the Patreon song challenge last week, Aaron. And uh, I want to give a special shout-out to Here our comes. winner from two weeks ago. You mocked me, Aaron. You mocked me incessantly yeah. for my performance of Ace of Bases, the sign. And I you said nobody got that. it. nobody. Well, guess what? Somebody got it, and that somebody was Terry Howard. So congratulations to Terry. I knew that a true Ace of Base fan would recognize
1: it immediately. You know, all those years of living with the Brent, have warped Terry's mind to the point that she can understand and even communicate with your horrible singing poor Terry.
0: <laughs> well, and then last week we had a few more people get the correct answer. I want to give a big shout out to Lobsterminator and Graham W. Vebke of the June mm. bugs helping me out with that tune. Yeah. It was Hey Jealousy by the Gin Blossoms. Lots of that was, people got this one. That was an one. easy one. Yeah. Chip r typer andy craig alien breeder eric nelson terry howard and mitsuyama congratulations it's one really to get all.
1: them whenever someone shouts it out in the chat room here it is remember that's what happened so don't yeah. sh- don't tell the answer for god's sakes
0: speaking of not telling the answer it's time for this week's patreon song Yo! challenge another tune from the june bugs and we hope you enjoy it if you know the answer please send me an email at john at amigos and uh i will read you as a winner on the next episode Hit it, Aaron. Good luck. right so i want to thank uh bruno langer for being on keys and on guitar of course um myself on bass myself on vocals i want to thank myself to tell i myself don't thank you i
1: thought the i thought the drums and the guitar were great the bass pretty good but you gotta fire that singer man well, holy you smoke!
0: you're not wrong you're not wrong
1: <laughs> that's horrible
0: all right, and of course, Aaron, we want to thank all of the fine folks that support us on Twitch. Uh, we do record the show live on Twitch every Friday. You're welcome to come and join us. Our Twitch subscribers do include D- Demo Scene TV, EOR 4077, Uber Scuba Diver, Thurso Bard, Retro Jerry, John Marshall 3, Dragon Bane OZ, Am i Ooh. Steph, Scumboy, Jigglebox, Texas Foosballer, M Kelly 0904, Blow Jellyfish. Real Retro Dude, Orom, Luminate08, Butterberg, Pixelrageous, Amiga Live, Macintosh Librarian, Lord Soup, Wide World of Retro, The Mr. Chip, Edvin Helland, Cubits, Beachbum7, Buck Owens, Gary Heather, I Am Chris Folds, Ah, Crabs MTG, Great Algae, The Amiga Show, NegSol, Salem OK2, Monza Mess, Grilza, Mitsuyama. Steve Burt's Paco Take, Explore, Captain Chaos DK and Blue Train. Thank, Thank you, you guys so much for subscribing to us on Twitch. Now, Aaron, this next week on Amigos, it's an Amigo Aaron special. You requested this one, Aaron, and it came to pass. All
1: right, Lionheart
0: again. <laughs> no, no, Aaron. Uh, next week, the um, the Olympics start, the Winter Olympics. And so you demanded we play an Olympics-themed game for our show next week in Celebration. And so, Aaron, we're going to be taking a look at Lillehammer
1: 94 for the Winter
0: Olympics special.
1: That's the best one, wasn't it? Do you Remember that time where that guy won the medal there? Holy smokes. That made you believe again.
0: Well, Lillehammer was the Tonya Harding Olympics. That's what it will always be remembered as. So maybe that
1: will be reenacted. In what the a thing to be remembered as. Way to kill a <laughs> Lillehammer, boo I can't wait. Good job, selection committee. Finally, I got a little sway with those guys. All right.
0: Well, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, thanks, as always, for watching. We will see you next time. Until then, adios. adios.